We'll move on to Matthew chapter 2 this evening. Matthew chapter 2, and we'll read from verse 1. Although you understand that this moves on in the nativity account, uh, possibly even a year after the Saviour's birth um, in our reading now from Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it, was, when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Amen. May God bless the reading of his holy and infallible word. In our search for the Saviour, we must make sure we find the right person. And we are following tonight the search for the promised Messiah through the eyes so well 
crafted is this story of then the Magi by Matthew. So much of this account just feels so right, we can say. Uh, We rarely get things just right. I know just about everything I do, there's something that could be better or done a bit better or said a bit more carefully. Uh, Do you ever cook your, your turkeys just right? Have you started thinking about, have you got a turkey this year? Um, all that goes into the Christmas dinner, maybe you've got your family coming to visit you and we're get keen to make sure, aren't we, on Christmas Day that everything is done just right. You want to make sure that the meat is cooked correctly, the sprouts are cooked to just the right consistency. Have you remembered everything? Will you remember everything on that day? Do you follow? Um, who do you follow? Do you follow Nigella <laughs> or Delia Smith still? She's still there in your, in your shelves. Um, we, we like Sam Stern as well. Have you heard of him? Uh, we've got some of his cookbooks. Um, he's a teenager who cooks simple meals for his teenagers. So if you get um, your children or your grandchildren, Sam Stern then, you know, that would give an appropriate hint, wouldn't it? <laughs> Do you ever get things just right? And with little fuss as well, of course. We've got to create the right environment where everybody's got that beaming face and nobody's stressed out or sweating. So you can enjoy the family environment as well. Well, it's only um, 15 days Fourteen days till Christmas. Jesus is king. He is the eternal one who has always been with God in heaven. And he does everything right. The all rich one who owns and knows all things. He is the king of kings. After all, when he decides, King Jesus, when he decides, a king is set up. When he decides... A king is deposed. He decides. And he is now in Matthew chapter 2. He is in a house. He's no longer in a stable. Um, He has made his home, it seems, in this environment like a child getting used to the world. I remember bringing Philip, there he is in the corner there, bringing him home from Barnet Hospital to the London Theological Seminary and saying to him there, this is your home now. Uh, We don't know where we will be in a year's time. We may be somewhere else, but we're not to make our home in this world. This world is passing. (coughs) Everything, though, is under God's eternal wise plan and every detail of Jesus' life points us to that fact. He is the Saviour King who is born to this world and the Magi's discover, the Magi, sorry, discover just that truth. 
So let's see that then as we continue in our search for the Saviour. First, you see the, the right approach, these, uh, 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 these characters that are familiar to us, maybe for wrong reasons, maybe for right, demonstrate for us the right approach to discovering the Saviour. There's been a lot of discussion, of course, about uh, these, uh, these characters and about this passage, the nature of these so-called, as it says there in my English Standard Version anyway, it says wise men. Uh, the, wor- the word in Greek is magos, where we get this uh, uh, word magi. It's a foreign word. It's foreign to us, magi. Maybe linked to magicians. It was also foreign to Matthew, um, here, the writer, and the culture. It describes those, uh, the culture of the Bible, rather, I should say, sorry. It describes those, see, who have knowledge about the stars, and they were like magicians, though I think we shouldn't think of them too quickly with basically whatever you think of as magicians today, whatever fills your mind. Don't, don't equate them too quickly in that way. In the past, the word uh, magos has been translated kings. <coughs> I don't think there's any basis for that. But it's nice to see kings bowing their heads, isn't it, before baby Jesus, of course. What I'm saying to you then is that who they were was somewhat of a mystery. The Bible doesn't tell us how many, uh, for example, how many uh, magi there were. Uh, So there's a second picture we're not to hang too much uh, emphasis upon, though perhaps there were three. Seems kind of logical, doesn't it, as there were three gifts um, there, are, there are the three gifts that, are, that are, we're told famously about, and maybe three magi with three gifts, perhaps. But we don't know. We don't know how many there, there were. But there's one de- detail <clears throat> which we, we do miss out, and this, I think, is the fact for mentioning then the the detail of these magi coming. And that is, is this, the fact of where it is they have come from. That's the important thing, not the number, not exactly what it was, was their profession. But think about now the closing words of Matthew's gospel, where we read uh, the Saviour's words, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Those are the closing remarks that Matthew records for us. And And here, if we bring that together with the beginning then of the gospel account, we are shown that Jesus is to be ruler and king and savior, not just over Jerusalem, not just over a small tribe 
of people, but over the whole world. Jesus is king. Notice then that these wise men are from somewhere. Where do they come from? Well, we're told they come from the east. (laughs) The east. They are not from around these parts of Jerusalem, of Bethlehem, of Nazareth. They've come from the east. (coughs) They appear to have studied the Jewish scriptures nevertheless, but they are foreigners, shall we call them. They've travelled a long distance for this one sole purpose. It's utterly remarkable, isn't it? For this one sole purpose, and that is to worship the Lord's Christ. Wonderful. How were they led there? How, how did this come about? The mind truly boggles, but we are given indications of that as well. How is it that you and I tonight have come to worship the Lord Jesus Christ here in this place? How is it that we have found ourselves to submit ourselves under the lordship of Christ? How is it? How is it that we are here as willing subjects of Christ? That we love him, we've been granted an assurance of his salvation, that we Believe we will be with him in the glory to come for ever and ever and ever. How is it that these things have become true? How is it that tonight I want to hear the Bible? How is it that I want to come and hear the Bible explained week by week in this place? How is it that I still love him just as much, if not more, than I first did? How is it? Uh, that I found myself in this blessed position. It's clear, I think, in the text that it is the star that leads the wise men in a supernatural way to the place where the Lord Jesus Christ was dwelling. I'm not saying then, we're not saying tonight, look to the stars. But it is the Lord that led them to this place. And it is the Lord God that must lead us to true worship of Jesus Christ ourselves. And that is what we are to praise him for, for the Lord's leading of us. Uh, Read an account of uh, a man who picked up a piece of paper in a pub in Australia, in an Australian outback pub. And he became a Christian. That piece of paper was a sermon written by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And perhaps others of us here tonight, and maybe I don't need to talk about Spurgeon. We've each of us got our wonderful stories to tell of how the Lord God led us to worship him. He did it. He so worked it. How strange. And yet now it is clear that the Lord is at work in this. 
On the outside, it seems like a coincidence, doesn't it? Sort of two or three things come together and collide. But no, it is God who is the God of providence. So this, uh, these mysterious magi are led to worship. Let's just very briefly, under this first heading, contrast that with Herod. Um, <coughs> Herod the Great was named king in Judea by the Roman Senate in 40 BC. And in a few years, he crushed all opposition to his rule. He was wealthy. He was politically gifted. We, are, we understand he was clever enough to remain in the good books of the successive Roman emperors. But Herod was notorious for his love of power. And he later seems to have gone senile later on, and he killed his children and his wife, as well as, as well as famously, the, all the young children in Bethlehem. And I'm just mentioning this because it's in stark contrast with the right approach of the Magi. Herod ought to have welcomed the news of the birth of Jesus Christ. He should have rejoiced and be glad at it. The whole world should have been glad. Finally, the Saviour has come. Show me the place so I can just worship him. But no human beings in their sin, they complicate things, don't they? So quickly, we can ask the question, but what's in it for me? Where do I fit in all of this? What about my rule? My autonomy, my rights. No, Herod was troubled. People are troubled today, aren't they? They're very troubled. They're troubled with the church, the dangerous place. They're worried about the church's continuing existence, just like Herod was troubled At the existence of Christ the King. Herod was troubled, but the Magi had the right approach. They inquired, they sought the Lord Jesus, and they brought him their gifts. What about you then tonight? Are you troubled? (coughs) Are you troubled, or will you just worship him? Seek him. If you haven't found him, if you haven't been led to that place, continue on that journey. Ask the Lord to show you the place where Christ is revealed in his glory in the scriptures. Pray, read the Bible and come to church. Come to the services, inquire more. Don't give up. Keep praying, keep seeking. You will find But even now, come and worship Christ the King. We are pleading with you. The right approach, the right uh, place and time, secondly. That was the right approach, the right place and time. It's important, isn't it, to be born 
in the right place, it seems. There's much concern about being brought up on the right side of the street at the moment. We want things to be more level and for there not to be a right and a wrong side to be born on the street, of the street. Aisha is a girl who was born with spinal muscular atrophy and a condition, a condition that means that her muscles are incredibly weak. She needs help eating her food, washing and so on. Her mother was the main carer and looked after her through the night up to the point where it became too much and the mother ended in hospital. Their problem with getting support was to do with where they lived. They needed to move to somewhere else to receive the support they needed. And that's exactly what they had to do. You've heard many such stories where people just are not living in the right place. There is such a thing as a postcode lottery, I'm afraid. We wish it wasn't so. Well, Jesus Christ, the Saviour, whom we need, whom we must seek, was born in the right place. The wise men knew it, but now they had to find him. The Saviour was going to be born in Bethlehem. This is a place for kings. This is where King David was born and looked after his sheep then. Bethlehem is where the word of the Lord came to, came to Samuel and revealed to him, to Samuel, that this is the Lord's anointed. Jesus was born in the right place. Thankfully, you and I, we do not need to be born in the right place. We don't need to be born of any particular family to be under Jesus' rule of goodness and righteousness. For he is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. Wherever the sun shines, or wherever it doesn't, where there is life, Jesus is Lord. And we can submit our lives to him. The good news is today that the gospel doesn't belong to Wales. It doesn't even belong to Gosinan. It doesn't belong to Britain or America or China or Africa. The gospel belongs to Jesus Christ and all who confess his name. So we can know, can't we, tonight that we are in the right place. Dear friends, you are in the right place. You don't need to go anywhere to be under the reign and salvation of Jesus Christ. It's clear that over Jesus' life, there was God's plan being unraveled right here at the beginning when Jesus had little strength. Perhaps he just about... I forget now, just about had enough strength maybe to pull himself up on the, on the, the chair and waddle around, maybe 
somewhere like that. Little strength. When he couldn't say clearly those words, not my will, but yours be done. The Lord God is in utter control of everything that's taking place here. And we see that so clearly. There's nothing accidental about the life of Jesus. His whole life was submitted to the design and purpose of the Father in heaven to save his people from their sins. The forces <coughs> of this whole world may well be against him. Nature may be against him even. Forces above, forces below on earth. For whatever reason, yet the Lord's decree could not be thwarted. And we see that here, don't we? Herod is against Jesus Christ. He has the power, doesn't he? What power Herod had? He has the power to click his fingers and every um, male child in Bethlehem is slaughtered. Even if all of his subjects were saying to him, no, I don't think that's a good idea. Didn't matter, did it? Herod had that power. He hated Jesus. He wanted Jesus off this planet. And people are against Jesus Christ today. Similarly, are they not? If you think that we're in a Christian country, well, um, we're starting to have that uh, with recent headlines, starting to have those ideas undermined, aren't we? Um, we're speaking uh, today uh, about these, these things. Um, people... Uh, We've been doing some outreach in Castle Square uh, last week. And A, there's some interest. Some people will listen. They will um, listen to our message. And we bring it to them lovingly with concern and genuine concern for people. And uh, some will listen. The majority of people not at all interested and some will scrunch up as I've had recently scrunch up your piece of paper that just says please come to church we've got good news to share with you that sort of thing let's scrunch it up in your face and throw it as though we were the most hated of people God's purposes are not thwarted the government May, I'm not, not saying it's around the corner, but they could ban Christianity from schools and so on. But nevertheless, the word will go out. Jesus Christ will always be Lord. Jesus could not die now. That's the point. It could not happen. Herod and all the forces of this earth may will it. But heaven has not willed it for Jesus to die now in this way because Jesus came not to die now in this way. He came to die on a cross, to die for our sins. Jesus is now man and could possibly die, but he had not yet been tempted, for example, in every way like we he had not spoken the word. 
He had not demonstrated his glory to mankind at this stage in Matthew chapter 2 so that he could be without excuse. So that we would be without excuse, rather. Uh, If he had died as a child, is what we are saying. If if he had died as a child, we could not say that the curse of the law had been dealt with for us. And we might have been able to say, oh, well, he was just a baby. What's so different about him? But no, Jesus would die at the right and appointed time, not by Herod, not by the Jews, not by men, not by whatever you think of as nature, nature's course. No, he would die at the right and appointed time by the Father in heaven. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written. She also declares to us this is heaven's purpose. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So Jesus' life must be preserved to all the way to the cross. We have many other indications of that, don't we? Uh, It's the right timing, the right place. Timing is so important. I'm terrible at telling jokes because telling jokes is all about good timing, I think, isn't it? And that pause and um, giving the punchline at the appropriate time, not just when you can get it out of your mouth. That's why nerves are not a great thing when you're doing stand-up comedy, I suppose. Um, It's good timing. God's timing is perfect. Jesus' life was protected to just the right time for him to die. And everything that takes place here at this birth narrative points us to that truth. Nothing in Jesus' life and his death were coincidental or mere plans of men. All were under the sovereign supervision of the Lord Almighty. Praise God. The right approach, the right place and time. And lastly, and Probably more briefly, because you know some of these truths so well. The right gift. Have you chosen the right thing? Have you bought, I think we're just about there, um, Christmas presents uh, for our family? You've got to get in now. I think if if you're doing um, postage, you're probably, I think people are saying you're a bit too late now, aren't you? Um, So you should should have got gifts by now, certainly if you're doing online things and um, posting things in and out. Have you got the right thing? Have you got the right gift for your, for your loved ones? Are you someone who studies long and hard? Or are you a, a, a click, <laughs> click happy on Amazon? Are you someone who likes to think of what they would like? Or are you someone who needs a list from them. I think I'm probably learning, <laughs> learning to be the latter um, because I've made so many mistakes 
Have the wise men chosen the right gifts? They've got the right approach. Um, that's what we've said, isn't it? They seem to have found, come at the right time. And it's all about timing and they've come to the right place. Have they brought the right gifts? Well, maybe they weren't too aware of the significance. Nah, I don't think they were very aware. Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe they were. We don't know. The text doesn't tell us why these magi brought gold, frankincense and myrrh. They saw the child and Mary. There were others there, but all the attention is upon one child. They didn't get distracted by Mary and her beauty, perhaps, and her godliness. Their attention was all on Jesus, wasn't it? They fell down and worshipped him. Isn't that beautiful? They saw that child and straight away their eyes were fixated on him. They worshipped him. It's as though Jesus was the only one in the room. Do you ever feel like that? I hope you do in church life. You're sitting here and you're listening to Pastor John preaching or someone else and it just feels like it's you and Jesus, I certainly have, in the room, even though there are other people around and we're not sure what they think of us. <laughs> Forget about everyone else. All you can think about is this one person. Well, they bring gold. I think we're reminded of certain things about Jesus' life and work in the gifts. Gold, we're familiar with the significance of gold that thing that is most sought after in the world, even to this day, isn't it? When we look at our friends' wedding rings, we ask, don't we, what weight of gold is it? And it speaks of richness and importance. What do we see at royal ceremonies? There's plenty of gold, loads of it everywhere on the head of uh, we will see in the king on uh, uh, everywhere, gold. It's always been, and it is even today. These wise men knew that the child in a home there was the king. No one, had, no one ever brought a child of seeming insignificant birth gold before. This is significant. His father... This little baby's father was a shepherd, uh, was, a, was a carpenter, rather. Um, and, you know, uh, there's a lineage there that speaks of different things. But he was of a royal line. He's the great king. Frankincense is a valuable spicy perfume used in the sacrifices of the Old Testament. And that does remind us, why did they, you know, we have to ask that question, don't we? Why did they bring frankincense, of all things, 
It reminds us of sacrifice. His life was a perfect and acceptable sacrifice to the Lord. Myrrh and frankincense go together. Myrrh, as we know, was a very odd thing to bring a child. Why did they bring myrrh? It was something in the custom of the day to bury people in myrrh. Myrrh you would find on the alley in the supermarket for things to bury people with. So it's a little bit like, isn't it, bringing a a coffin to a child for his first birthday. Why? Is that an insult? No. Nicodemus also in John chapter 19, we read, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they too, so they too the body, they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloth and spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now, this wasn't an insult. It wasn't taken as such. But it's a praise. It's a praise to Jesus' name. For he came to die for us. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He would die so that those who come to him shouldn't die for their sins, but have everlasting life. The right gifts, then. And Jesus is the right gift for you. He is the right gift for you. The gifts given by the Magi were the right gifts. They demonstrated what they thought of Jesus, and they were so spot on, weren't they? But when they give their gifts, they were merely expressing their adoration of this person who is given for them. When we give our gifts, we're merely expressing our thankfulness, aren't we? That Jesus has been given to us as the most perfect gift. He was given for us. So in the search for the Saviour, where do we find him, is our question today, I suppose. In what lineage we thought about this morning, and we found him in, uh, in a, a family line of, of skeletons, of unsavoury characters, But all of that just testified to us that Jesus was born to be the saviour of sinners. And this evening, we're asking, who will this be? Who is the one who is to be the saviour? Well, it is Jesus Christ, the King, who was born for us in such perfection 
in the purposes of God and who was born to die for us. Praise his name and may this Christmas time our hearts and lives be drawn to worship him more purely. Amen.